How do you know if you are a leader? How do you know if you're a leader? My parents were a little concerned when I was an infant just starting to walk. They, when they changed my diaper, they kept finding a coin in my diaper. Started simple enough. There was maybe a dime and maybe a few days later upgraded to a penny. They got really concerned the day they found three whole quarters in my diaper. They didn't know was I swallowing these coins whole and they were going through my digestive tract. Was I some sort of magical money-making baby that they <laughs> stumbled upon? They figured it out, though, one day. They, they caught me. They watched me waddle on over to the counter where I saw a spare change, and I went up and grabbed that change, and I took it and fit it down the back of my pants. Why did I do that? Because that's what my father did. Whenever he found money, he took it. And put it down the, what looked like the back of his pants. You see, as children, we are prone to follow. I've noticed that the more my children hang out with me, the more they walk like me, the more they talk like me, the more they spit like me. I don't know what it is, but there's something about outdoor sporting events that just makes me want to spit more. Um, I'll watch my boys playing soccer or football or baseball and and uh, I've noticed that I'll, I'll watch them out playing, and I'll just I'll be sitting out there, and I'll just spit. And what's made me notice it is I'll hear my daughter right next to me spit right after me. <laughs> There's just something about children. We, we have this uh, inclination to follow. In fact, we, we do it as adults as well. Have you ever, ever been in the room, and you know, somebody scratches the top of their head, and all of a sudden you have this burning itch on the top of your head? Or maybe they rub their nose, and you feel like you got to check yours, and... Or <clears throat> they clear their throat, and all of a sudden you feel like you need to clear your throat. You see, as humans, we have this inclination to follow. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, we were created to lead. We were created to lead. And I know this because Genesis 1 tells us when we were created, it says God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, God created us and then he positioned us into leadership. Positioned us to govern, to rule, to oversee, to be responsible for. But he takes it even a step further. He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to be productive. I want you to be productive through more and more people. You see, that's what leadership is. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm a great leader because I get stuff done. You see, leadership isn't so much about us getting things done as it is us getting things done through other people. Leadership is all about influence. And I'm here to tell you that if you have a title, you are a leader. And everybody sitting in here has a title, whether it be mother, father, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandparent, coworker is a title, citizen is a title. 
You see, each and every one of us has been created to lead. But not every one of us accepts that truth or embraces that truth. And you may say, well, I am not a leader. In fact, tomorrow I'm going to go back into work and there's three or four leaders that that are above me. I'm more of a follower. And I'm just here to tell you that it does not matter where your name appears on the org chart at work or, or where it appears on your family tree. You see, sometimes we think leadership is just leading down to those whose authority we have been placed under. But leadership is way more than that. Leadership often is when we lead up to those whose authority we've been placed under. Or we lead across to our colleagues. And you may say, well, I know some leaders. I'm not like them. I'm not a born leader. And I would argue that perhaps there's some people who are born with certain skills and abilities that tie into leadership that might help them out in some way or another. But leadership itself, it's really less of a noun and more of a verb. The reason it's a verb is because it's a skill. Meaning, it's learnable. As long as we can learn, we can get better and better at leadership. That we can do this. And so God has created us to lead, but not all, we don't always embrace that. In fact, it was a, uh, it was a, a few weeks ago that the, the church sent me over to San Diego to go to something called Leadership Effectiveness Training. And they thought that maybe I'll go over there and I'll learn some, some good leadership skills and, and we'll bring them back and I could teach them to some of our staff and, and uh, perhaps to, to some of you and, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll focus on some good leadership skills because good leadership is important. And you know this. You know why? Because you have all experienced bad leadership. And you know the impact that bad leadership has on a person's life. And so I'm here to tell you that as I've studied and continue to learn more and more about leadership, there's not too many original ideas and skills to good leadership when it comes down to it. In fact, you could trace all the best leadership skills and ideas back to one person, the greatest leader who ever walked this earth, Jesus of Nazareth. He was the greatest leader There ever was. Nobody has influenced this world quite like him. I mean, he talked about leadership. He modeled leadership. He lived a life of leadership. And we just recorded three years of that life. What he did in those three years in leadership have changed the next 2,000 years in leadership. So much that we're still talking about it, still studying what he did and said and how he led today. And so whatever place of leadership you may find yourself in today. Whatever spot of leadership you fa- position you find yourself in tomorrow when you go to work or today when you go home or, or maybe leadership within your community, wherever you are, I think it'd be wise to ask yourself one question. How would Jesus lead if he was in my position? How would Jesus do it? He was the greatest leader of all time. How would he lead? And there's several great answers throughout the scriptures. But I want to highlight just a few I know to be true. And I know that if Jesus was in your situation, if he was in your position of leadership, this is what he would do. Jesus would first set the tone. 
He would set the tone. Now, if you have uh, your apps out, you can uh, go ahead and, and hit the sermon notes and start filling in the blanks. But, but Jesus would set the tone. That's what he would do. It's a famous author and writer and speaker, John Maxwell, who says, People can only do what they see. You see, Jesus modeled it. He always demonstrated the behavior that he desired from his followers. Did you ever look at Jesus' followers, those 12 disciples that he picked? It's as if Jesus purposely picked the unpicked. I mean, he, he went to, to fishermen. Why are they fishermen? Because they failed all the other tests. That's all they knew. That's all they could do. And yet Jesus comes up to him and says, hey, I can teach you. You can learn leadership. In fact, Jesus, he, he picks a diverse team. He's got some guys that, that are, come from affluent backgrounds, some who are poor. He's got some that really like the government, some who can't stand the government. I think Jesus picks such a diverse group of people to kind of show us that anybody could follow Jesus. And Jesus has a, a brilliant recruiting method for followers. In fact, it, uh, he, when he goes to um, the fishermen, he says this, Hey, follow me, and I will make you fish for men. And, and we see over and over when Jesus goes and he recruits his disciples, they just stop whatever they're doing and they follow him. And I don't think it's because they're in some spirit trance and they can't help themselves but follow Jesus. No, I think they see an important person who sees importance in them. and says, hey, follow me and I'll teach you to do something you don't already know how to do. Let me teach you something that can change the world. And so his disciples, they start to follow Jesus, and they have questions. They go, well, Jesus, well, what are you going to teach us? How are you going to teach us it? Where are you going to take us? And Jesus has this patent answer we see over and over in the Gospels. He just says this, come, and you will see. Just follow me, and I'll show you exactly what to do. I will set the tone. There's this guy named Ron Clark. Now, Ron Clark, for those of you who don't know, several years back, he decided to start a nonprofit middle school in southeast Atlanta. Now, today, this is revered as one of the greatest, most successful schools in the world. In fact, hundreds of educators visit Ron Clark. He's the principal. Visit his, his school, his teachers, and just observe. How do they do it? How are they so successful at education? And in a recent interview... Uh, Ron Clark, he was asked the question, what do you do? How do you lead such, an ex such a successful organization? And Ron Clark's answer was this. He said, any great leader of any great organization really only has one job. And that is to show up to work in a good mood. And he confessed, he said, I don't always wake up in a good mood. Sometimes i got to rub a little extra soap under my nose. Sometimes i got to do some extra exercises, get those endorphins going. Uh, sometimes i got to spend more time in my Bible. Whatever it takes to fill me up so that when I show up to work, I'm the guy giving out high fives. I'm the guy giving out encouraging words. I'm the guy telling everybody else it's going to be a great day so that it can be a great day because the leader sets the tone. Do you know that Two-thirds of people in the U.S. today say they hate their jobs. 20% of those two-thirds 
openly confess to spending the majority of their time working against the very company that has hired them. (laughs) There was an article that came out recently in the Harvard Business Review that where it gathered several studies together of workplaces that were considered positive work environments by the employees who worked there. And they noticed some contrast in, in, in the few places that were considered positive work environments. They noticed that they had 37% less absenteeism. They had 49% less workplace accidents, 60% less process errors and product defects, that they were 18% more productive overall, that they were 16% more profitable overall, and that over the long term, these companies had a 65% higher market share overall. Not to mention, they received double the job applicants for people looking for work. They wanted to work for these companies And they attracted all the top talent. And in these studies, they they try to trace it back. Okay, well, what's the number one influencer on whether or not you have a place to work that you consider a positive work environment? And the, the number one answer rose to the top rather quickly. The number one answer was the leadership of your direct supervisor is the number one influence on whether or not you think you work in a positive work environment. The leader sets the tone. The leader sets the tone. If you want to know what Jesus would do, he would set the tone because because people don't quit their organization. People quit their boss. When you think about it. In fact, and it's not just when you go to work tomorrow, when you go in your home today, it, you're not just influencing people's behavior and setting the tone uh, for, for the hours in which you interact with them. In fact, it will go on beyond that. It, it was popular writer and author Ken Blanchard, Ken Blanchard who said, My father would have been a better father if his boss was a better leader. When we lead, we set the tone for the people around us. If you want to know how Jesus would lead in your situation, he would set the tone. He also would spot potential. He would spot potential. Jesus often would see potential in his followers, speak more of it into their lives, and empower it. I find it fascinating that one of the field trips Jesus takes his disciples to and on is this field trip to Caesarea Philippi. No good Jewish boy ever went to Caesarea Philippi. It was like the Vegas of the Middle East back then. It was where all this massive pagan worship happened, where where all these heinous sexual acts took place as part of this pagan worship. And Jesus is like, load up, boys. We're going to Caesarea Philippi. And and there they go. I mean, there they go. And the image is this, that he takes them to the top of this rock face, the top of this cliff, and, and almost as they're looking down on this pagan worship and these things taking place, and Jesus is going, let's talk about... The church, and that these are going to be the kind of people that are going to be in the church. (laughs) And he says this to his uh, disciples in this conversation. He asks them this question. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? His disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He, He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, 
that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You ever notice that only Peter got the right answer? Meaning 11 out of the 12 did not understand at this point who Jesus was and what he was trying to do. And let me just tell you, if you're in leadership, most people will not understand who you are and what you are trying to accomplish. But Peter gets it, and Jesus sees that Peter gets it, and he sees the potential in Peter and speaks even more potential into Peter. In fact, from then on, Jesus, is, or Jesus Peter is listed as the first among the apostles. Peter gets to be the one to deliver the sermon on Pentecost to get this whole church thing going. In fact, Jesus didn't just speak potential into Peter's life. In fact, we see scriptures and stories time after time where Jesus spoke potential into his other followers, even his future followers. Jesus said this. He said, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. In other words, you've seen what I've been able to do in just three years for the kingdom of God. If you just believe in me, you have the capacity to do even more. You see, when we spend our time spotting and speaking potential into the people around us, we actually trigger in in the other person a chemical reaction within the body. If you just smile at somebody, if you just give them a genuine compliment, if you just verbalize the potential you see into someone you actually, the body, the body starts sending these neurotransmitters into the brain called endorphins. Endorphins are fascinating. They usually come from a very positive experience. They're fascinating, especially in contrast to another neurotransmitter that's common, uh, commonly released in our bodies and into the brain, and that's adrenaline. Adrenaline typically comes from a negative experience. Usually we experience adrenaline when we're stressed. We're experiencing fear or anxiety. Maybe you have that boss who likes to lead out of fear, and so he's trying to get you, know, get you to do something, and so he, he does something to make you afraid. And, and sure enough, adrenaline will give you a boost of energy. The problem is it will also heighten your emotions, and over the long term, adrenaline weakens the immune system, and it's actually been known to cause depression. But then there's endorphins. Endorphins come when we see and speak potential into people. Endorphins... The energy, you get a boost of energy, and actually lasts longer than adrenaline. Endorphins balance out our emotions and actually clear up our heads where we're able to be more productive. When you spot and speak potential into the people around you, you actually enable them to be more and more productive. And so if you want to know how Jesus would lead, he would spot potential in people And he would also serve. Jesus would serve his followers. I think one of the greatest examples of Jesus modeling this type of service is during a holiday meal that he was having with the disciples, the Passover meal. And this would be the last Passover meal he would have with them before his crucifixion. And it's a holiday meal, so it had several traditions with it that are still observed to this day. Maybe you have a holiday meal where the tradition is, you know, so-and-so gets to carve the turkey, or there's certain foods that are served, and there's the same thing with this holiday meal. In fact, there's this tradition that nobody gets to eat until you wash your hands at the Passover meal. And nobody gets to wash their hands until the most important person in the room washes their hands first. 
Now, in this case, that would be Jesus. He would be the smartest, the wisest, uh, the one deserving of the most honor. And so it was the honor for him to take water from a pitcher, pour it into a basin, wash his hands first. Why? Because from then on, they would pass it around. And so the first person to wash their hands got the cleanest water. If you happen to be at the end of the line, that was sorry for you. But, but Jesus had the honor of being able to wash his hands first and have the cleanest water. And so you can imagine, here he is sitting with his disciples for this holiday meal, and they're waiting on Jesus to take his place of honor, to wash his hands. And yet Jesus takes this moment to do something else. It says, he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured the water into the basin. But then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So often Jesus takes his place of high honor and he uses it to honor others. Yes, their feet were dirty. Yes, the disciples would walk town to town either in sandals or in no shoes at all, and often covered, their feet were covered in dirt or animal excrement, and it was a very humbling position, a humbling thing for Jesus to do. There's this other part, this other tradition still there today in this holiday meal, and that is whoever sits left of the most honored and important leader, this seat to the left of them, it was a seat reserved for the most honored guest. And still to this day, if you were to go experience a Passover dinner, you would, the person sitting to the left, that's the seat of the most honored guest. And they would get the second cleanest water. Sometimes they would get the bigger portions of food, sometimes served by the, the leader of the meal. And we know through, through further scripture that Jesus allowed Judas to sit to his left. Meaning, the very first feet that Jesus, is wa- Jesus washes are that of Judas, the very man who will betray him. Jesus, and over and over, used his place of honor to honor others, even the dishonorable. Jesus taught his followers so many times, leadership, it's not about the position from which you lead, but it's rather about the people you are leading. And if you want to know how Jesus would lead in your situation, he would serve. Jesus would also endure. It was after three years, his message began to shift. It began to shift from come and see to go and die. Jesus Jesus started telling his followers things like, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus spent his time teaching his followers how to suffer and die well. And they did. Many of them were crucified. Many of them were beheaded or slain. You see, Jesus does not bring us around pain. Rather, he brings us through pain in order to make us more like him. Do you ever notice that Jesus... He was the greatest leader of all time. He was the greatest communicator. He always knew what to say. He was the greatest demonstrator. He always knew what to do. I mean, he did it perfectly. And they killed him for it. That's the price of leadership. 
If you want to be a great leader, then it will cause problems. It's going to cause problems. If you want to do what God has called you to do in leadership, then controversy will be a part of that call. Look, just because you want to do the right thing, just because you're trying so hard to do a good thing, does not mean that people will recognize you for doing good. In fact, you'll even have people who don't know you make a decision in their mind that they don't like you. And they don't even know you. They may not, know, they may not like something you've done, but they just jump to it. Ah, you're a terrible person. I don't like you. <laughs> Did you ever notice that it's, it seems to be the people you try to help the most are the people who fight you the most? Have you ever been in that situation where here you are trying to help the very person who's hurting you? There's a very successful entrepreneur, very wealthy man who decided he wanted to give back to the world. And he decided he would go ahead and tackle the issue of clean water in India. He knew that several of the communities there did not have clean drinking water. It was causing a lot of the the diseases that they were dealing with. And so he decided what he would do is open up a school in India that would just be open a few hours a day. It would be open to the women of the Indian communities The men would be off at work, and the women might have a few hours during the day, and so they could come and take classes, and and eventually they would graduate with a degree in hydro-engineering. And then once they had this degree, they would be sent back into their communities to begin projects, irrigation projects, and dig wells, and start having fresh water for their communities. But the problem was, when they went back with their degrees and began these projects, they met opposition, mainly from the, the men who were in leadership over those communities. And in an interview, this, this rich entrepreneur was asked, well, what did you do? What did you do when the women went back and they met all this opposition? And he said, well, I prepared them for it. I told them this was going to happen. I told them, I said, look, you're going to go back to your community and you need to start these projects. And you need to lead. And the first thing people will do is ignore you. But just keep leading. Just keep going. And then people will start to mock you and make fun of you. But you just keep leading. You just keep going. And then they'll try to fight you. But you just keep leading and you just keep going. And by then it will be too late because you will have already won. You see, Jesus, first they ignored him. They Pay no attention to the weight behind his words. And then they began to mock him. And then they tried to stop him. But by then it was too late because he had already received the victory. If you want to know how Jesus would lead if he was in your situation, he would endure. I like how Pastor T.D. Jakes, he talks about that's why God gives us two hands. One to build with and one to fight with. And and we can't get so lost building something that we forget to fight off the enemy. And we can't get so lost fighting off the enemy that we forget to build. But if you are going to build something, it will require a battle. That's how it works. And so the question becomes, will you endure? And if you want to lead like Jesus, he would endure. There's one more thing I want to share with you, and that is... If you want to lead like Jesus and know how he would lead, Jesus would seek wise counsel. 
several verses in the Bible that look like this, but it, where it tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often sought the, the counsel of the Father. And you may go, why? Isn't he God? I mean, doesn't, doesn't, he have, doesn't he have all the information? I like how C.S. Lewis describes the human form of Jesus, that Jesus in his human flesh would have limited himself. In other words, the human brain can only contain so much information. And so Jesus would have allowed his brain to be limited to what it could contain. And therefore, he would need to continually commune with the Father in order, in order to have access to wisdom and information. Let me just tell you, I don't care how smart you are, how successful you've been, how high you find yourself on the org chart, or maybe you are the CEO of your company. It is still okay to not know the answers. It's still okay to not know. And it's even more okay to go to the one who knows all. It was a... Several weeks I got to go to the West Coast and learn some leadership. It was just about two weeks ago. I took my family to the East Coast. I wanted my wife and kids to see where I grew up in New York, just outside the city. And and then we spent several days in the city. spent a day in Philadelphia. We spent an afternoon in D.C. Fascinating, just the history of those three cities and and, uh, how they're interconnected. And just learned so much during that time. And what an honor it was to be able to stand in some of the very spots where some of the greatest leaders of our country once stood like Thomas Jefferson or Benjamin Franklin. The guy who really impressed me, George Washington. What a great leader. In fact, I would say if it wasn't for his leadership, we'd probably still be colonies ruled by other countries. George Washington was such a great leader that when we won the Revolutionary War, we wanted to make him king. (laughs) And George Washington said, we just got rid of a king. He said, I'm not going to be your king, but I'll be your president. I'll serve a term, and then you can pick somebody new. And so we're on this double-decker bus on this tour in New York, and the tour guide uh, is guiding us through, and we, we turn this corner, and the tour guide goes, right here, right there, that, that's where George Washington was first inaugurated as the very first president of the United States of America. And then the bus turned the next corner, and the guide said, And right over here is the church that George Washington walked to. Right after his inauguration, he went inside and he prayed and asked God how to govern a country. There's this running theme in leadership. And that is that great leaders follow an even greater leader. You cannot go wrong following Jesus. He's the greatest leader of all time. You know, there was something else I learned on this trip to New York, and uh, we got to go visit the Statue of Liberty. Now, I've seen this statue so many times when I, when I was a child, and, and uh, we, we got to go on the, the ferry to the, to the island where she is, and then we got to go past that to Ellis Island. I never realized that 40% of Americans can trace their ancestry back to Ellis Island. As so many of our ancestors saw Later, Lady Liberty, as they became immigrated into the United States. And she's so iconic. Her crown, her robe, her torch. 
But there's a part of the statue that's there I never realized before, before this trip. Because you have to get up close to see it. And that is that the Statue of Liberty, if you look down by her feet, there are these statuesque moldings of broken chains. Because with great leadership comes liberty. And it frees us from anything that binds us. You can't go wrong following Jesus today. He still stands ready to lead you if you'll follow. To free you from whatever binds you today. And maybe for some of you, as years ago, you made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, but for some reason today you feel bound up in a particular sin or a particular situation. And I'm here to tell you that as we close today, you'll have an opportunity to let Jesus set you free once more. And maybe you've never taken the opportunity to make Jesus the greatest leader of your life. Maybe you've never made him Lord and Savior. And as we close our service today, while everybody else walks that way, you have the opportunity to walk this way and submit your life to him and allow him to free you now and forevermore. I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward as I pray. And if you need Jesus to set you free today, we're going to invite you to pray with our prayer partners afterwards and be set free. Would you stand up with me as we close in prayer? Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his ministry. And thank you that he's still moving and ministering today. Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters in here who feel bound up this morning. Something's taken hold of their life, and Lord, they just need to experience your freedom. And I pray that they will not leave until they experience it today. Lord, I pray for the people in this room who've never made the decision to follow you. Lord, we've all made the mistake of trying to be the leader of our own lives and it's yet to work out for anybody so God we want to be the leader you created us to be and we know the only way we can do that is to submit to the leadership of the greatest leader of all time and that's Jesus and so Lord I pray for the courage for those who need to make Jesus Lord of their life today that while the rest of us walk out they will walk forward and pray with our prayer partners that they will receive Christ today Lord we ask all these things in the most powerful name of Jesus Amen. You were dismissed. We'll see you tonight.